A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. Jesus was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become the children of God. Who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to Father's heart and has made him known. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. May the words that come from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, as I reminded the young people as they left this morning, it is still Christmas. Today, if you've been following along, it is actually the ninth day of Christmas. And out of interest, do I have any volunteers for the nine ladies dancing? Anybody? 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 Nobody? Nobody? Oh, can only ask. We don't actually get a second Sunday of Christmas very often. Uh, but when we do, this gospel reading is always the reading. The first 18 verses of John's gospel have often been referred to as John's Christmas story. But they are much more than that. Like much of John's gospel, it's full of theology and imagery and richness. And so just one single sermon is never going to be enough to do this passage justice. So what I'm hoping to do this morning is just to point to a few things that have really made me stop and think as I've come to these familiar words again. The way that we look at these words right now can't help but be impacted by what's going on in the world at the moment and also by the time of year that we're reading these words as much as these words are timeless they were actually written at a particular time in human history with a particular worldview in mind and so it is important to understand something of how the world in which these words were first written would have received them. So that when we come across practical and missional principles, which we will, we'll be able to apply them in a way that's meaningful in our world today. But if you've missed uh, your calendar, you might not be aware that it is the new year. 
And something that always seems to be popular around New Year is New Year's resolutions. Has anybody made a New Year's resolution? Yeah, a few people, a few people. I have to admit that this year, I've really struggled with the concept of a New Year's resolution. 2021 was supposed to be the year of the Great Reset. We were going to reframe, reprioritize, refocus and achieve something better than it was ever before. But it wasn't. We're now entering into a third year of what I've heard call a deep disruption. When I hear of previous generations who've experienced times of deep disruption, things like world wars or depressions or big upheavals in culture and community, amongst the stories that you hear about sadness and horror is a story that rises above that. Stories of triumph in the human spirit. Stories of strength in adversity. Stories of people coming together in unexpected ways. And I do know that it's always easier to look at things in retrospect. And I do pray that we will get to some point in time when we can do that in this season and be able to look and see examples of triumph, strength and unity. But I have to say, at the moment, I'm somewhat worried about the direction we're currently heading. As Omicron runs rampant throughout the world, I suspect we're realising the truth that we hoped that we could avoid. This pandemic does not seem to be going away anytime soon. Rather than us all coming together, I'm seeing far more examples of selfishness than I am of selflessness. Far more examples of hypocrisy than I am of faithfulness. And that's just in my own life. Rather than pulling together, we seem to be pulling apart. Rather than experiencing new possibilities of community, we've preferred to isolate. Yes, I know there is isolating for safety reasons. I'm not talking about that type of isolation. It's that real isolation we have when we take ourselves away from a relationship with others. An ageing Joshua, in his farewell speech to the people of Israel, was talking about the culture in which they were living and the dominant culture of the Amorites and how their lifeless gods might have been seen to be attractive to the people of Israel. And he was imploring them to stay faithful to the God, the true God. And you may have heard of this verse before. But after his exhortation about how good God is, he stands up and he says, As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. As I look back on 2021, I think perhaps the version that I've heard most often around the world we find ourselves living goes a little bit more like, as for me and my household, we're going to buy up all the rapid antigen tests and toilet paper that we can. 
I'm currently two-thirds of my way through a book on contextual theology, which I love. Contextual theology, but I do love this book. It's great. Um, Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes. And a few days ago, um, after Christmas, after I've done my Christmas Day sermon, I came across a, a section in the book that talked about the Christmas story. And to my pleasant surprise, the authors agreed with me. But hey, awesome, that's great. Um, if you weren't there on Christmas Day, what I suggested was that when we get Mary and Joseph to what we translate as the inn, the actual Greek word is the same word that Luke uses for the Last Supper for the upper room. And rather than being a hotel that had no vacancy and they found um, a stable way out the back away from everyone else, the most likely scenario is that this was Joseph's family home and the upper guest room was already cram-packed with people and not the right place to have a baby. And so they made an innovative birthing suite amongst the animals. And it's nice to know that um, the authors of this book agreed with me. But they took the image way deeper than I did. they reminded me that our westernised reading of the birth story imagines Mary and Joseph on a lonely journey with their only company being a donkey. Isn't that what we sing about in the Christmas carols? Isn't that what we imagine when we receive a card that just has the image similar to what we're seeing on the screen? And they're rushing to get to Bethlehem in time to get the census done. And when they get to Bethlehem, they're isolated and alone, save the unexpected company of shepherds, angels, and kings. Sounds like a great title for a song, Shepherds, Angels, and Kings. Maybe somebody should write one of those. What the author is suggesting to us is that the image that we've painted in our Western worldview couldn't be further from what was the cultural norm at the time. They reminded me that there was actually no rush for the census. There's plenty of time for everybody to get counted. It's not like Australia where you can only do it on one night a year. You all had to be there on the one night. There was a period of time. And Mary and Joseph could have stayed where they were and had the baby there. Yes, the catalyst for coming to Bethlehem was real. But going back to a family of origin was important for the birth of any child. And this is the thing that surprised me somewhat after receiving countless Christmas cards with that image of Mary and Joseph and the donkey all by themselves. They would have been very unlikely to travel alone. There would have been a cohort of family with them. Because in that culture, you didn't deliver a baby by yourself. And also, Joseph's family and Mary's family did need to go back to Bethlehem as well, so they travelled along with them. I don't know about you, but it really made me rethink all that artwork from Christmas cards, all the stories and the movies I've seen about Christmas. 
what I took from their suggestion is that if they were isolated and unknown, then it would have been spelled out in the infancy narratives in Luke and Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel. But because it wasn't, then you can assume that the normal thing happened in the normal culture of the time. We're reading into the story with our Western eyes the individual nature of a journey. Because when we go on holidays, we pack our car with our immediate family and we go just with our immediate family. But in first century Jewish eyes, you lived always in community and family. And when you travelled, you travelled with community and family. And when you got to where you were going, you would find when you arrived that you were with more community and family. And if you were here or listening online to our service last week, we had that, that passage in uh, Luke's Gospel where Jesus is 12 years old and he takes himself off to the temple and Mary and Joseph panic and they don't know where he is. But it took them a whole day to realise that he was missing because the assumption would have been that he was with, guess what, family and community. That was what happened in the culture. And the, the real kicker to that story is that Jesus at the temple was reframing what family and community was. But that's a whole other sermon. I'm struggling with New Year's resolutions this year because they seem so self-focused. What will I do this year? What do I want, expect? What do I want to change? What do I want to influence? What do I hope for? One of the most profound things in this familiar passage from John is that there is no I in John's Christmas story. It's all using the pronouns we and us. And when John refers to those pronouns, he doesn't just mean the immediate family or your close circle of friends. He means the whole community reading this for the first time, the whole of the communities reading it across the known world and the whole of our community hearing it today. I wonder whether part of our struggle to reset is that we've individualised something that was never supposed to be individualised in the first place. My overwhelming prayer for this church and the wider church has been that we would use this season as an opportunity to go deeper with God and become more intentional with each other. And while there are some definite examples and exceptions in our own church community here and in other church communities that I can see around us, on the whole, I'm seeing more pulling apart more focusing on individual preferences and circumstances and less pulling together and a sense of sacrificial community. Christianity is an individual faith in a sense. We do make a personal decision 
but it is one that can never be quarantined into one single time, one single place, location, person or perspective. We believe in a Christ who was made flesh and lived among us. Jesus didn't come just to be my personal best friend. He came to draw me away from myself and towards God that I might be drawn from God towards others in this community of relationships. I might, and I do have some personal experiences of God which are profound enough for me to share from time to time. But God is very small if God is only what Stuart Perry has experienced of God. We see God's glory in community and family. I can't fully appreciate who God is until I see Christ revealed through you, through you, through you, for you online. I am a child of God. Yes, I am, as the Hillsong song says. But I'm not an only child. I'm one of countless millions of children who are family. Yep, we're family. Whether you like it or not, I'm your family. Regardless of cultural background or ethnicity, regardless of denomination or church affiliation, regardless of age or gender, we are family. The world lost an amazing man in Bishop Desmond Tutu in the last week. And Bishop Desmond Tutu had a number of profound things to say, but particularly to children of God. And he wrote in his book, um, God Has a Dream, and I think um, Bruce um, Mullen, who I saw come in somewhere this morning, um, sent me this uh, through, the, through the week. And interestingly, um, in this book, God Has a Dream, a vision of hope for our time, he started off with, there's Bruce, hi Bruce. That was you, wasn't it? I think, I think you sent that. Um, Dear child of God. And as I'm reading, please don't imagine me as a pasty white boy. Um, imagine Bishop Desmond Tutu with his beaming smile and his teeth glistening in the sun and that infectious personality which comes from God radiating these words. Dear child of God, I write these words because we all experience sadness. We all come at times to despair and we all lose hope that the suffering in our lives and in the world will ever end. I want to share with you my faith and my understanding that this suffering can be transformed and redeemed. There is no such thing as a totally hopeless case. Our God is an expert at dealing with chaos, with brokenness, with all the worst that we can imagine. God created order out of disorder, cosmos out of chaos, and God can do so always, can do so now in our personal lives and in our lives as nations globally. Indeed, 
God is transforming the world now through us because God loves us. Can you imagine him saying those words to us? Even though he's addressed this to dear child of God, Desmond doesn't write in an individualistic way. Like John, he uses lots of we and us pronouns. When you look at his life and his ministry, I see a testimony to the power of God working in and through, yes, an amazing man of God, but through community. He was able to be what God called him to be because of the community in which God called him to be serving. The message of hope for our time is that the individual is only ever temporal. But the corporate is eternal because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I pray this year that you will get a fresh touch of God. That you will know God more intimately and more profoundly than you have ever known God before. But if God is going to continue to work in the way and the pattern that God has worked, and if we look at John's gospel, we get that pattern that he's been doing it from the beginning then the best way to find that new experience of God is not through isolation, protection and individual focus. It is in community. It is with the person next to you, with the people online. It's with people who are travelling at the moment, people who are yet to arrive in ways that we might have done it in the past, but also in ways that we are yet to discover. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. May 2022 be a year of grace upon grace. Might we be able to declare, as Joshua did, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Amen.